So we've been looking uh, this summer at the life of Jacob, and we're uh, at, um, you know, one of the things, I don't know if you are familiar with the story or not, but one of the things that happens is you read this and you think, uh, can it get any crazier? And uh, the answer is yes, continues to get crazier. Um, And the other thing is you think, you know, this is all happening in the context of uh, husbands and wives, uh, uh, daughters, uh, sons-in-law, that whole whole thing as well. And so um, you may think your family is strange, this family stranger. And so um, uh, as we look at that today, I want to caution you about one thing, and that is that you don't sit in judgment on these people, but rather that you see yourself in the story. And if you can't see yourself in the story, then uh, it's my job to help you see yourself in the story. So I'm going to pray now that I can do that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for your word. We thank you for the truth of your scripture. And uh, we thank you for these, our ancestors. Uh, these people who went before us, who you loved, who you drew to yourself, who you made promises to, and who you, though they weren't great material to work with, uh, ultimately blessed the whole world. And so bless us today. Give us hearts that are soft. Take away our cynicism, our bitterness, our temptation to self-righteousness. We ask this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. So Genesis 30, verses 25 through 43, the text is in the bulletin and also up on uh, the screens uh, behind me. As soon as Rachel had born Joseph, Jacob said to Laban, send me away, that I may go to my own home and country. Give me my wives and my children for whom I have served you, that I may go, for you know the service that I've given you. But Laban said to him, if I have found favor in your sight, I have learned by divination that the Lord has blessed me because of you. Name your wages and I will give it. Jacob said to him, you yourself know how I have served you and how your livestock has fared with me. For you have had little, you had little before I came and it has increased abundantly and the Lord has blessed you wherever I turned. But now when shall I provide for my own household also? He said, what shall I give you? Jacob said, you shall not give me anything if you will do this for me. I will again pasture your flock and keep it. Let me pass through all your flock today, removing from it every speckled and spotted sheep and every black lamb. And the spotted and the speckled among the goats, they shall be my wages. So my honesty will answer for me later when you come to look into my wages with you. Every one that is not speckled and spotted among the goats and black among the lambs If found with me, shall be counted stolen. Laban said, good, let it be as you have said. But that day Laban removed the male goats that were striped and spotted and all the female goats that were speckled and spotted, every one that had white on it and every lamb that was black and put them in the charge of his sons. And he set a distance of three days journey between himself and Jacob and Jacob pastured the rest of Laban's flock. Then Jacob took fresh sticks of poplar and almond and plane trees and peeled white streaks in them, exposing the white of the sticks. He set the sticks that he had peeled in front of the flocks in the troughs, that is the watering places where the flocks came to drink. And when they bred, they came, and since they bred when they came to drink, the flocks bred in front of the sticks 
And so the flocks brought forth striped and speckled and spotted. And Jacob separated the lambs and set the faces of the flocks toward the striped and all the black in the flock of Laban. He put his own droves apart and did not put them in with Laban's flock. Whenever the stronger of the flock were breeding, Jacob would lay the sticks in the troughs before the eyes of the flock that they might breed among the sticks. But for the feebler of the flock, he would not lay them there. So the feebler would be Laban's and the stronger Jacob's. Thus the man increased greatly and had large flocks, female servants and male servants and camels and donkeys. So just imagine, you know, many of us think uh, how, uh, uh, how difficult our families are. And just imagine, you know, if you live and you're in a family business uh, with your family and you're in that family business with your family because they cheated you. They lied to you. That's what we have here, right? I mean, it's, a, it's an important thing for us to recognize that Jacob has, has been there now for all these years, uh, slaving away because though he cheated his brother, uh, now his father-in-law has cheated him. Remember, he wanted to work seven years for Rachel, and it didn't seem like it was anything at all because he loved her so much. And Laban surprised him with Leah. And then he works another seven years to acquire Rachel. And, um, and just imagine what that must have been like. Just what it must have been like to be in that sort of pressure, working with, living with, being related to people who are regularly stealing from you, cheating you, dishonest, Right? Uh, AJ, you can put my notes up there. So, so our families, you know, make make the make this hard. At least, at least if Jacob worked, he could get away from it. But he never gets away from it. He's married to it. Uh, and so, one of the things that uh, just you know, we we react so quickly to injustice. We react so directly when we are being cheated or we're being stolen from. He lives with it. He's related to these people. He eats Christmas dinner with them. Right. So our families are uh, such a source of great blessing and often, as in this case, a source of relational difficulty. When Marty and I decided to get married, uh, we didn't want any drama. What a joke. We didn't want any drama, but we decided that uh, when we, what we, we would announce the fact that we were engaged uh, to our parents together. Uh, her mom and dad and my mom and dad were friends before we dated, and so we thought this would be a good way to do it. It's efficient, gets it done all at once, but also if somebody has a problem with this, they're not, they, they won't dare say this in front of the other folks in the room strategizing here. And so, you know, we told them everybody's happy, it's an exciting day, we're all joyful, you know, we're going around hugging, that kind of stuff. Marty goes to my dad. My dad, classic words to her is, you know, this is great. Welcome to the family, and I hope we don't prove to be a disappointment to you. Um, so Marty goes to my mom and says, this is so great. I'm going to be your daughter-in-law. You know, would you like me to call you Betty or Betty Joe? What would you like? And my mom said, Mrs. Shelby will do just fine. And uh, that's what she called her until uh, the day she died, right? So, uh, so families are funny, 
right? And so you can just imagine that what it must, the pressures, the difficulties, the reminder every single day, as Jacob looks at his wives and he looks at his children and he looks at the flocks, he lives every day with the fact, I am in this situation. Now you may think, well, he should have come to realize he's in this situation because he stole from his brother and lied to his dad. But I'm sure as Jacob sits there and he looks at his situation, he recognizes, I am in this situation because my father-in-law is stealing from me. He's a liar and he's a cheat. And my uh, uh, fortunes are bound up with him. And so with the birth of Joseph, finally, Jacob decides, you know what? I've done enough. It's time. It's time to go home. And so he goes to Laban and says, I want to go home. And Laban, but let me go. And because I've worked for you all these years and I've done all this for you, I'll just take the speckled uh, 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 goats and the black sheep. You keep everything else. Now, actually, if you know anything about genetics, you know that the, the speckled sheep, the speckled goats and the black sheep actually might be a little bit genetically superior. They might be a little stronger. They might last a little bit longer than the other sheep. And so what, what, he, uh, what he's doing there is something that's pretty smart. Now, this scheme of when it's time for them to breed, putting the stripes in front of them is a superstitious attempt at getting one over on Laban because Laban agreed to it and then Laban promptly takes all the spotted goats and the black sheep and he takes them away and hides them from Jacob. Can you imagine what Jacob's day was like? The day he went out to pull the spotted goats and the black sheep from the flock and he looks and there aren't any. There had been dozens the day before and he goes out there now and they're all gone. I mean, the, the, the cheating, the stealing, the injustice just continues to go on. And so Laban, a schemer, Jacob, a schemer, now they're scheming even more. And that's what Jacob is doing, what this lame kind of genetic experience of, because the belief is whatever the, the animals are looking at when they breed, that's going to be the color of uh, their offspring. It's so dumb. But... But when was the last time you were so desperate for justice or comeuppance against your enemy that you might do something just as silly, right? Now, the the thing that's interesting about this is, and the thing that's important for us today to to think about this is, is that what's happening here is Laban is unjust, to Jacob. Jacob has been unjust to his brother. And in the midst of all of this, we have this situation that's playing out. And so what happens is Laban wants to get rich. Jacob wants to get rich. And they're both scheming and plotting to do that and scheming and plotting against one another. What a mess. What a mess. Since our first parents were thrown out of the garden uh, in uh, Genesis chapter 3, we have all been afraid that there wouldn't be enough. We have all been afraid that we might run out. And some of us even might not have been afraid that we might run out, but we might be afraid that someone else might have more. 
And so as a result of that, uh, often we act as if there is no God who has promised to provide. We act as if there is no God who has promised to be with us. We act as if Jesus never came. We act as if there's no grace, there's no mercy, there's no justice, there's no love. And so we have to go out and grab and grasp after this and achieve it on our own. Because after all, we're all alone in the world and the world is a scary place. And so these two men scheming against one another. We read in uh, the Psalms, in Psalm 106, uh, this great text that begins with, you know, gratefulness, thankfulness to the Lord for his faithfulness to his people, for his uh, loving kindness, and the fact uh, the psalmist goes on to recount how God delivered his people, how he brought them out of slavery, how he split the Red Sea and brought them out uh, uh, with uh, great signs and wonders. And as he did that, the people initially rejoiced, but then they forgot. And they begin to mix their uh, worship of God with other things. They began to get distracted. They began to get afraid that somehow or other they wouldn't have anything to drink or anything to eat. And so they indulged in as the psalm tells us, wanton desires. And then we read this text that says, and he gave them their request, prosperity, but sent leanness into their soul. Sometimes prosperity is misread by us as something that is an unadulterated good. When in fact... Uh, thick wallets, thick portfolios might lead us to thin souls and sick hearts. Especially when that comes our way and when we, when we do this uh, uh, because we believe uh, that there is no God who does not see, who is not with us, who is not both just and merciful to us. So what do you do? What do you do when you experience ongoing injustice? But more than that, what do you do when you find that you have been unjust to someone else? Now let me just say right at the outset, uh, do not react to that statement with, I've never been unjust. Because if you're breathing, you've been unjust to somebody, sometime or another. We all have. It's unavoidable, right? So what do we do? And how do we achieve some sense of justice, especially, especially if we're entrusting ourselves to God? Eleven years ago, the summer, I was uh, at the office here. The phone rang, uh, and I picked it up, and it was my mom. And um, my mom never called me, ever, you know. And so I knew something was up. She's like, I got some bad news. Like, what? Tate, my son, had called her, she said, and that he had been out the night before uh, drinking and that he got arrested for driving under the influence. Now you have to understand, Tate 
is interning at Fourth Presbyterian Church. So I'm thinking, what kind of internship is this? I work in the church, and your interns are out drinking and driving? Wait a minute, what is happening here? So, and she said, he asked me to sit to wire him $5,000 because the attorney who goes to his church wants that money to help get him out of jail. Like, Mom, don't send any more money. I'm going to take care of this. So I get off the phone. I call Tate immediately. No answer. Anxiety goes up a little. I know his boss, who's a friend of mine, so I call him, and I'm like, what is happening? Why, why didn't you call me? Why, if Tate's in jail, why don't I know about this? He's like, I'm looking at Tate. He's playing basketball with a group of middle school boys right now. So I'm like, get him on the phone. (laughs) So he gets on the phone and I'm like, what is wrong with you? What have you done? I can't believe you're doing this. He's like, what are you talking about? What were you doing last night? I was playing video games with some middle schoolers. Like, tell me the truth. (laughs) What were you really doing? I was playing video games with some middle schoolers. So through some sort of mining of social media, My mom wired $5,000 to some people in Russia. The FBI looked into it. We never got the money back. And to this day, or to the day that my mom died, I don't think she was fully convinced that Tate really didn't get a DUI. (laughs) Because she would say to me, when we would talk about it, she would say, but you know, that boy sounded just like Tate on the phone. So we had a new rule in our family going forward after that. If any of my kids ever call you and they tell you they're in jail, hang up and tell, uh, tell them to call me, hang up. I'll take care of it. We never got justice for that, that I know of. That I know of. I wonder about that. I prayed about that often. What kind of person prays on grandparents? What kind of people pray on? <laughs> Yeah, just, just a wreck. So what do we do? What do we do when we are in a situation where we are consistently experiencing injustice, even by people that we know and we love? I mean, I don't know if you were paying attention earlier in the service, but, you know, with the, the, during our prayer time, We read this word, is not an enemy who taunts me, then I could bear it. It is not an adversary who deals insolently with me, then I could hide from him. But it is you, a man, my equal, my companion, my familiar friend. We used to take sweet counsel together. Within God's house, we walked in the throng. This is the people in your small group. The people in this room with you. Right? So what do we do when these kinds of things come our way, right? So it's, and, and what do we do when we're the Laban in the story? What do we do when, when we're the people who actually have been uh, perpetrating injustice? Right? Well, one of the things that's interesting about 
this story, and one of the things that I think is fascinating about it is we have, you know, Jacob, rather than going to his father-in-law and saying, what have you done to me? Why did you take the black and speckled uh, uh, livestock away? You know, what, what is going on here? Help me understand this. He enters into his own scheme to try to, uh, to manipulate the genes to get his own uh, um, uh, 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 his own flocks. But the interesting thing about it is what he says later on in Genesis 31 to his wives is, I see that your father does not regard me with favor as he did before, but the God of my father has been with me. You know that I have served your father with all my strength, yet your father has cheated me and changed my wages 10 times. He's mad. But God did not permit him to harm me. If he said, the spotted shall be your wages, then all the flock bore spotted. And if he said, the striped shall be your wages, then all the flock bore striped. Thus God has taken away the livestock of your father and given them to me. There's something in that text, as crazy as this is, about stripes and speckles and jeans and stealing and lying and cheating. I mean, that's the way injustice often is, right? It is... It is confusing and hard to figure out and how to understand how to, to, to make things work here. But the, the fact is, next slide, AJ, that, that God, in the midst of this, God is at work fulfilling his promise to Jacob. You see, what Jacob says here about the, the fact that God had been with him and had been providing for him is... Uh, the foundation of what's going on here. If, if, if Jacob had entrusted himself in that way, if J Jacob had, had uh, remembered that on his way to Laban's uh, flocks, that God had appeared to him in a dream and said, I'm going to be with you and I'm going to provide for you and I will bless the world through you. I will remember the covenant that I made with your grandfather and your father and I will be a God to you and you'll be my people and I will provide for you. You see, that is the place where this uh, uh, it begins to kind of uh, challenge me. Because the fact is, Jacob, does he remember that? Does he live as if that is the case? Is he able to bear up under injustice and in trusting his enemy and trusting his oppressor to the hands of God? But at the same time, at the same time, waiting for God to bring justice to this situation. And God does. But it's not through Jacob's lame efforts of putting striped wood in the troughs so that he can somehow or other manipulate that. It's in the character of God to protect Jacob because Jacob belongs to him. Justice is often elusive to us in this world, right? It is often uh, 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 difficult for us, and, and it's easy for us to see when it happens against us, but not so much when it happens to others, right? And certainly not so much when we are perpetrating it against others. So how do we make sense of this world, and how do we go forward as we think about this? Well, one thing is uh, true, that we, sometimes we insist uh, in getting our own payback uh, when we fail uh, to see God at work, right? That we're going to do whatever we can to make sure uh, that uh, we get uh, our recompense. Well, the fact of the matter is, uh, 
the way we do this and the way we begin to think rightly about this is not throwing ourselves back upon our own resources, but remembering something that's true. And something that's true is that the most unjust thing that's ever happened or that ever will happen. When Jesus Christ, the only innocent person who's ever lived, dies at the hands of a judicial murder, that is the means whereby mercy and justice and God's economy meet, and that is the place where we see the very work of God, the very justice of God, sin gets paid for, but the very mercy of God is poured out upon us. And so that has to begin to inform the way we think about uh, uh, our enemies and those who uh, might cheat or defraud or be unjust towards us. Because I'm I'm here to tell you, you know, that the the temptation in these situations is to self-righteously blame, self-righteously point the finger at others without first recognizing our own sin and our own injustice and entrusting ourselves to the God who loves us, who died for us, and entrusting into the hands of the only just being in the universe. We entrust our enemies and those who are unjust into their hands. This is hard. It's confusing. It's difficult. And I think the thing that is uh, so uh, uh, profound about this is, is that we have the very work and the very promise of God given to us in Jesus Christ. And that is where we kind of settle our souls and our hearts when we are troubled and tempted to revenge or tempted to grasp after something that uh, is really beyond our grasp. But the fact is, just as we entrust ourselves into the love and the grace and the mercy and the justice of God, we entrust the unjust into his hands as well. One of the things that I think is uh, so hard about this is that in the moment when you're experiencing injustice, It's so hard to remember, wait, there's a God who loves me. There's a God who's with me, who is at work even in this. And I will trust him to do maybe in ways that I can't even see what he's going to do. We forget. There was a movie that came out uh, last year, uh, won a couple of Academy Awards called Belfast. And it's about a family Uh, in Belfast, Northern Ireland, in August of 1969, at the beginning of all the riots and the troubles uh, between uh, uh, the Roman Catholic population and the Protestant uh, uh, population. And this this story is about a family of Protestants who lives on a street with both Roman Catholics and Protestants and just the struggles of what is happening there. But it is written from the perspective of a nine-year-old boy, which is hilarious. Because he goes to church, he goes to his Protestant church, and God forbid that I am ever like the pastor of this Protestant church. I just really wish there would be a movie sometime where a pastor is not a loser. But uh, uh, the pastor is fat and sweaty and screaming at people and telling them there's two ways. One leads to hell and one leads to 
the good life. And then the way that leads to hell is a broad way that winds around, but the narrow way leads. And so the little boy takes this very seriously. You can see his eyes. He is like, wow, this is really, this is really crazy. And so that night he's sitting in his room and he draws a road with two forks and he puts the good way on top of the other and the bad way on top of the other. But he can't remember which is which. He can't remember, and which, which road am I on? Which way am I going? Which way is the way that leads to life? It's, it's really hilarious to see him that because he can't remember, because he didn't hear that the way of grace and the way of the cross, though difficult, is the way of life, even in a fraught overwhelming, hard, unjust situation. And so even as we work for justice, the energy that, that we must see as we work for justice has to come first from the fact that we believe in the cross and we believe in a God who is just and merciful and that his justice and his grace meet perfectly and the person and work of Jesus Christ. And that has to be the, the, the motive, the foundation, uh, as we entrust ourselves and our own injustice and the injustice of others into the hands of God. That has to be what moves us and motivates us, not our own undeveloped sense of what is just. And so we come to the table. And the thing about coming to the table is, this is Jesus' word to us, acted out in sensible signs to us of the meeting, of the mercy and the grace of God with his justice. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Lord, help us to remember today uh, your justice and your mercy. Let's confess our sins. Almighty and merciful Father, we have erred and strayed from your ways like lost sheep. We have followed too much the devices and desires of our own hearts. We have offended against your holy laws. We have left undone what we ought to have done, and we have done what we ought not to have done, and there is no help in us. Yet, good Lord, have mercy on us. Restore those who repent according to your promises declared to us in Jesus Christ our Lord. And grant, merciful Father, for his sake, that we may live a godly, righteous, and obedient life to the glory of your holy name. Amen.
brothers and sisters, hear this good news. Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. You will show faithfulness to Jacob and steadfast love to Abraham, as you have sworn to our fathers from the days of old. The scriptures tell us on the night in which he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread and he broke it, just as I do now, ministering in his name. When you hear that bread crack and crumble, uh, it should uh, bring home to your ears and to your eyes the reality that Jesus Christ was broken unjustly for your injustice. That Jesus Christ, uh, the only righteous and innocent person who ever lived, died our death. God put our sin upon him. It was paid for fully full atonement, so that we could live. Uh, God does not pass over sin as if it's not a big thing. He sees it for what it is, and, and we should see it for what it is because it required the death of the Son of God to satisfy justice. But justice has been satisfied for you today, even as maybe you have schemed or your heart has been thinned by a drive for prosperity while forgetting the love, the mercy, and the promise of God. We eat this bread and we drink this cup to remind ourselves of what's ultimately true and what's ultimately real in the world. It's a good gift from a father to us. It's a kiss of love to his children. That's your hope and that's your confession today. And you profess to a body of believers somewhere that Jesus uh, is your sacrifice, that he is in his person and in his life, death, and resurrection, justice and mercy meet perfectly. You profess that to a body of believers somewhere. He welcomes you today to taste and see the mercy and the justice of God in the atoning work of Jesus. As uh, the uh, elders come down front uh, to assist me today, let me remind you that the outer ring is wine. Uh, The inner rings uh, are grape juice. Underneath each cup is a gluten-free wafer. Uh, If you are uh, unwilling to come and take directly from the hands of one of our elders, you are welcome to come and take uh, from this uh, table here. If you're unable to get up, uh, raise your hand and we will uh, see to it that you get served. Once everyone has been served, we'll eat uh, and drink together.